0: You're listening to The Wealth Standard Podcast. This is Patrick Donahoe, your host, and we are just two episodes away from the end of season one entitled Life. Now, this week's episode is uh, is awesome. It was a brilliant, brilliant interview. This gentleman is definitely going to uh, be a household name in the coming years. His name is Andrew Yang, and he has uh, written two books. We will discuss those on the actual podcast itself, but he's also running for... The presidency of the United States uh, in 2020. Now, Andrew has a much different viewpoint on on life, in my opinion. He has been in the tech sector, involved with a few startups, Uh, both, uh, I think, a couple of, of, of them were purchased, and he became you know, independently wealthy, and has uh, really established a perspective on what's going on in society that I don't think is talked about often enough. And it's in regards to how quickly things are evolving, uh, both in a, in a good way and also a bad way. And we had some uh, we had a, a candid, very candid conversation, and there were some viewpoints that he had that you know I hadn't looked uh, looked at it that way before. And so I really think you're going to in- enjoy it. Now, the, the way in which I went into this this interview is a little bit different than other interviews. Now, if you listened to last week's episode with Gary Pinkerton, who uh, is a former uh, Navy nuclear submarine uh, commander, we were on a, an investment summit. And on the investment summit, one of the, the themes was the future, but it was kicked off by uh, Robert Kiyosaki, who had us do an article study uh, and and create a dialogue around uh, our perspective or paradigm of the world, and he you know use a, a kind of a, a interesting abstract type of. Uh, article and piece of information that we all talked about, which was uh, based on meditation. It was called uh, Hollow Sync, and it was an introduction to this form of uh, of meditation. And the objective, at least his objective, was to put himself in the position where he was looking at uh, something, whether it was a topic or uh, an opinion uh, or on a circumstance uh with uh, as objective of a viewpoint as possible so that he didn't go there go in there with a bias because if you go in with a bias you tend to uh disrupt your your learning uh and and or at least stifle it so looking at how I went into this interview with Andrew, I, I knew he had some some standpoints in regards to his view of the future and how things were progressing. Uh, and I, I tried to remove those and have a good dialogue with him. And I think we, I think we uh, accomplished that. Uh, he's a bright individual. He right now is uh, running the Venture for America, uh, where you can uh, discover more about that. It's ventureforamerica.org. Uh, he has uh, two books. Uh, one of his, his first book that was in 2014 is Smart, Uh, people should build things. And then his second book is The War on Normal People. And it's talking about the, you know, the advent of technology and how Quickly, it's going with artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the increased uh, amount of computing power that's out there that will facilitate a lot of automation and and subsequently displace uh, uh, jobs, employment, and uh, and so forth. And so he's you know he's talked a lot about you know some statistics that are concerning to him, and we're going to mention a few of them uh, on the podcast. But you're really going to enjoy this one. Definitely pay attention, and uh, and I would highly encourage you to uh, to follow Andrew. I know he's on social media. Uh, and his presence is increasing because of his presidential run. Uh, but I would—I definitely check out his website, and we'll put all of uh, the links to that on the uh, on the show notes. So, without uh, further delay, here's my interview with Andrew Yang. Welcome to the special
1: 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating life, liberty, and property.
0: You are currently listening to Life, Season One. Andrew, thank you so much uh, for taking the time this morning. It's uh, it's awesome to have you on. I can't wait for the discussion. Uh, first off, welcome, uh, welcome to the to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Patrick. So, Andrew, I I love your 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 viewpoint on society the, these days. I think you are definitely pushing the the status quo, and you're challenging some. I would say, very dogmatic assumptions in regards to a number of topics. But I thought what we could uh, talk through today is, you know, you, the, the book that you have written, which is Smart People Should Build Things and uh, subtitle How to Restore Our Culture of Achievement, Build a Path for Entrepreneurs, and Create New Jobs uh, in America. Because a lot of your viewpoints, I think about all the time, I have young kids, um, I have a, a, a business that has been extremely challenging just because of you know, the, the lack of any type of education or training behind building a business. And I know that you're, you know, you've had a lot of experience, whether it's in the tech world uh, or in school, and now, you know, pushing for a, a presidential run. I think your, your perspective is kind of a breath, breath of fresh air for people. So why don't you kind of get into the, 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 the topic of, uh, of your book and, you know, your viewpoint of where we're at as a society and what's holding us back.
1: Well, I had a similar experience where my parents were immigrants. They said, Hey, be really good at school. So I went to law school, found it was a terrible fit. (laughs) Law school itself was okay, but I was an attorney for five months and thought it was not what I needed to be doing. So I went out to start a business and starting a business, as you described, and as people who are listening to this, anyone who's been in that, that position knows it's really brutally difficult. Like you're, you're, just constantly struggling (laughs) and and at the same time, you have to represent the company and yourself positively uh, to the outside world, but also to your team, to investors. Uh, It's extraordinarily daunting. And my first company flopped, uh, lost, you know, lost all all investor money. Uh, And I was a failed entrepreneur at the age of 26. I still owed a hundred K in law school debt because our education system is so exorbitantly expensive. So I, having been through that set of experiences, uh, I actually got bitten by the bug and said, I need to keep doing this um, uh, in part because being an entrepreneur just felt like a much more genuine process than hanging out, doing someone else's paperwork. <laughs> so so I, I worked at a series of startups, another one that did not work out. And then another one sort of plateaued. And then the third one after my failed company did quite well and it grew to become number one in the U S and was acquired by the Washington post in 2009. And what's interesting is that that company was uh, an education company where I was helping smart kids get into well, I was helping recent college graduates do well on the test to get into business school and then go to business school. So I personally taught the analyst classes at McKinsey and Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley. And I saw just how lost the products of our educational system are, where they're just jumping through hoops and going to the next step. And then, if then after they're in a banker consulting firm, they take a test, go back to business school, and get 100k in debt. <laughs> so I, I thought, wow, this really needs to be improved on. So I started an organization, Venture for America, that's featured in the book. You mentioned um, smart people should build things. Uh, about how we need to train more of our young people to become entrepreneurs and take risks because our educational system right now does a terrible job of any of that. Uh, We we really discourage failure. And anyone who started a business knows you have to have an appetite for uh, adversity and a degree of failure um, almost every day in order to really make progress. Uh, So that's one of the big things themes of the book that our education system is not priming people for the actual process of building a business
0: yeah the real the real world you know I, I took my daughter out she's she's 13 i took her out to uh she needs some stuff from for for school and we went and had some ice cream last night and and again it's just i try to keep a just a good fluid communication with them about the very topics you're you're addressing right now Because, you know, failure, I think it's the context of failure, but I think failure in the end can be really destructive for a a child. And if you really look at, you know, meaningful learning – it's it's a it's a trial trial and and i hate i hate to even say error cuz that has a negative connotation to it but this is the process of of learning and and i think we're bre- we're bred into us that failure is a bad thing and then also working in groups is is cheating but i look at you know the world that you know we live in right now and gr- group you know the division of labor and gr- and group thinking right achieving together is is not something that is ever really facilitated in, uh, in, the, in the typical school, in the traditional school system. And I'm sure you're seeing that too, but it's not just in you know, uh, uh, elementary school or middle school or high school, but it's at the collegiate and post-grad uh, level. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I very much
1: would. Uh, you know, one thing I say is that building a business in real life is closer to team sports than it is school, because like you said, you work with other people, there's coaching, there are real results, you get immediate performance (laughs) feedback because you know you see the score uh that's actually closer to real life than working alone always having the resources getting b's and a's uh yeah so uh what's one reason why adventure for america we liked recruiting people who had uh some kind of athletic exposure or background
0: Interesting. Interesting. All right. So, so I would, I would ask you, you know, you, you look at these issues and, and I would say, you know, education is really the, I would say the most influential to a person. And if you, you know, date back to the, edu- you know, the, the uh, history of education, you know, it was, it was developed. The American education system was, was highly influenced, you know, by the Prussian system, which was, you know, uh, developed by von Bismarck to essentially train military and also train factory workers and I think that is it's very interesting to see how you know our our school system the the different failures I hate to use failures but the challenges they're experiencing and the results that they're getting for kids which continues to get worse and worse right as the, as society i would say you know progresses you know, what is the, what's, it's so big right now. What is the, what's the, what's the solution? Like, what are some things that you've thought about? Uh, and, I, and I would assume it's probably, you know, having to do with venture for America, but what are, what are some of the things you think could, you know, help disrupt the current system that has so much clout and so much uh, influence so that kids could, you know, really start to be influenced by really what, society uh, is these days what business is uh, is these days which is which is not necessarily what they're being taught
1: well i'm, I'm going to say that the challenge is even worse where i, I completely agree that our education systems, the factory model and <laughs> trying to produce ma- manufacturing workers essentially but it's going to get much, much worse in the age of automation, where we've seen what's, ha- what's happened in manufacturing communities around the country as millions of jobs have been automated. And we're about to do the same thing, to truck driving, which is the most common job in 29 states, retail, 10% of American workers, 30% of malls are closing in the next four years, food service and food prep, call centers, all that stuff's going to get wiped out pretty quickly. And that, that encompasses 50% of the current workforce. So you have an education system that's training people for jobs that aren't going to exist essentially. Uh, and if you look at the numbers right now, the underemployment rate for recent college graduates, according to the New York fed is between 34 and 44% right now. So people who are products of college are finding themselves without jobs at should require a college education about 30 to 40 percent of the time
0: so you're saying unemployed and underemployed correct
1: yeah yeah underemployment according to the new york fed is 34 to 44 percent for recent college graduates so you're getting the challenge right in that our education system needs to be overhauled the issue though is that we're flying through this in real time where we have tens of millions of americans who who haven't been to college in like 20 years or never went to college, since only about a third of Americans uh, attend college, 42% have associate's degrees. So for the sake of your children and mine, because I've got two young children, I certainly hope that our education system changes. The problem is that the labor force needs are going to change a lot too. And those changes are gonna happen very, very fast. The reason why our education system does not change very much is that there's no real incentive for them to change. They can keep churning out people prepared, unprepared, it doesn't really matter because their resources are not related to their performance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: College has gotten two, three times more expensive over the last 20 years. And it's not like it's gotten two or three times better. And it's not like people have said, oh, this has gotten much more expensive. Let's stop paying for it. If anything, college applications are, are rising and acceptance rates are declining despite the increasing cost. Wow. So there's no institutional incentive for any of these uh, any of these schools to change really except at the margins
0: so what are what are potential solutions I mean I, I look at you know I, I interviewed a, a guy uh, Peter Gray who's a BC BC professor and we he has a book called free free to learn and it in. You know, we, we focus a lot on the Sudbury theory of, of education. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. But, but I would say that there are solutions like that that are, that are rising up. You, you mentioned that you developed a company that was, was purchased by the Washington Post of online education, right? How to, you know, have courses. I mean, is, is that, you know, courses that are readily accessible and not very ex- expensive, much less expensive than, the, you know, than uh, maintaining the typical education? I mean is that well, is we that actually
1: succeeded powerful. primarily through having better teachers and a lot of that was offline one of the the okay. problems right. with with online is that people think it's going to be like a cure all um only 4% of humans are autodidactic where they can teach themselves and people are fascinated with online education primarily because of cost and ease of delivery mm-hmm. um not really because of efficacy like <laughs> it's, it's I mean it, it's really like, this, if you do a mental exercise where you say, hey, online education is more expensive than in-person brick-and-mortar education, uh, then would everyone be like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it? I mean, not really. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> it's primarily because we're looking for cheap solutions. Yeah.
0: No, the, yeah. yeah. And you know, what the so, so co- it, cone of lear- it's kind of the cone of learning idea where, you know, if you read something, it has a certain retention level. If you uh, watch something, it has a, a certain retention level, but they're 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 very low compared to you know actual practical, uh, hands-on type of of experiential learning. So yes. yeah, so I mean so, yeah, that's, uh, those are great points as far as e-learning. So yeah, I'll 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 let you finish. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, no. I so I wrote a book that came out just two weeks ago called "The War on Normal People," and it's about the changes in the labor market. And I, I've got a unit in that book called building people about education and how i would change uh, change it systemically so there are three recommendations i make in in this book on education uh, at the ground level we need to change our primary educational system to be much more relevant to living life and less about trying to prepare everyone for and this is weird, like our curriculum actually tries to prepare everyone um, not just to go to college, but to go to like very, very high level colleges, um, even when that's not in the cards. Uh, we, so we need to dramatically increase the relevance of what we offer instead of all of it being academic subjects, things like financial literacy, which I know you'd be a huge fan of, positive psychology, relationships, time management and managing technology. Uh, workplace etiquette, I mean, because a lot of kids show up and don't know the the first thing about it. So there there, there needs to be a dramatic increase in the number of Americans who are in vocational and apprenticeship tracks. For Americans right now, it's about 6% of high school students. In Germany, it's 59%. And uh, one study estimated that we have 30 million middle-skill jobs that are going unfilled because we just don't have enough products of technical training programs uh, to be able to, to fill those jobs. So that's that's like the one big transformation that needs to happen. Um, again, if you look at college completion rates right now, they're 59%. We're up to $1.4 trillion in debt, and the unemployment rate is between 30 and 40%. So college is being overprescribed, and it's not really working. And it, it's become crazy expensive because college bureaucracies have just gotten out of control where the, uh, the administrator to student ratio has gone from one to 50.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: 30 years ago to one to 20. So in other words, it's gone up 150% where, uh, now there are many, many more administrators on college campuses and that's what's driving the costs up. It's so what the government needs to do is come in and say, Hey guys, hate to do this to you, but we're going to require, A certain administrator to student ratio target in order to receive federal funding Uh, because it's impossible for a university to cut its own costs to that degree the incentives just aren't there they just jack up the costs every year pass it on to families and then the families lever up on debt like it's federally funded so we're all paying for it (laughs) so we have to get the colleges to bring their costs into line and the only way to do that is by targeting where the costs have skyrocketed, which is um, that they've hired tons of administrators.
0: Have you, what are other solutions you've explored that are maybe non-legislative in, in nature? Cause, cause yeah, that's one way of, you know, one way of, of, of tackling it. Okay. And I would say, you know, it, it uh, is probably going to be effective, but if, is there another, is there another way that that can be proposed that would influence, you know, a, a so as sh- you say, like the, the reason I'm running for president
1: is some of these macro solutions that I've, come to realize need federal intervention on a micro level for you me and other parents i mean a a lot of it really is around teaching adaptability and personability and a degree of grit and resilience resilience i mean because even as the nature of work changes where like something like, let's say being an accountant, which would have been incredibly safe and stable a generation ago, that stuff's among the easiest to automate. Absolutely, Pharmacy, same thing. Lawyers, I mean, uh, my friends in Silicon Valley are spending tens of millions of dollars on like automating basic legal work.
0: Well, ro- rocket lawyer legalism, yeah, I know.
1: Yeah, so, so the best thing that for us to do on a micro level is to not have our kids get too fixated on climbing up institutional ladders that are probably not going to serve them that well and try and prime them to become resilient, adaptable, personable, and able to succeed in a non-institutional environment. Because the next 10, 20 years are going to be incredibly rocky for the average American worker. Uh, Our labor force participation rate right now is down to 62.9%, which is a multi-decade low and comparable to the rates in the Dominican Republic and El Salvador. This is the greatest story that people are ignoring, where there's this rosy headline unemployment rate that is utter nonsense because it doesn't measure people leaving the labor force or people that are underemployed.
0: So as I look at and I know we don't have ton, tons of tons of time I mean you go you go to the, the incentives behind how the system has been created and, and I would agree uh, would agree I mean ha- there has to be a macro approach to it because right now it's it's just so it's so massive and there's so much uh, I would say on the line for those administrators and for teachers and their pensions and, and there's there's you know there's a, it's it's so big and it's such a pervasive problem that you know either it ends in in collapse, which I was hoping that would be the case as opposed to legislating it out of existence, but I would say it was legislated into existence, and that's the you know the idea behind uh, you know subsidizing student loans. I mean imagine if there was a free market for student loans, right It would take a lot of people out of the market to sending their kids to, to school, even, well, even it, 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 i mean
1: it, cer- it certainly would um, <laughs> The issue, and I know it sounds like you're not a fan of. Of, of government as a solution, which I understand completely and agree with in many respects. Uh, the issue here is that the free market is about to go the other direction on us, where I'll, I'll use truck drivers as an example. Right now, they make forty to $50,000 a year, three and a half million of them, 94% male, average age 49, average education, high school, or one year of college. The market is about to take the value of their time and labor and zero it out. Because trucks will be able to drive themselves. It's going to save $168 billion a year. And they're going to be teleoperators sitting in a warehouse in Nevada to just pipe in and occasionally take over the truck anytime the computer is not sure. Mm -hmm. The market is going to prefer software, AI, automation, machines, more and more. So if we wait around for the market to, to figure it out, we're going to find out that the market doesn't care about cashiers. Doesn't care about Uber Uber drivers. Doesn't care about fast food workers, and, and I'm talking about doesn't care about call center workers, and on and on, and and uh, and then you talk about the schooling system and say, hey, um, you know, sure, I hope it 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 fixes itself. I mean, in many ways, that sector will be the last one standing because their incentives aren't purely aren't actually market based. They're just getting money uh, based upon you know, like people Trish. seeking better lives for their, for their kids uh, and, you know, like coming, bringing them to school. But like at, at the primary school level, it's government-financed. And then at the college level, it's also essentially government-financed. Healthcare <laughs> care oh, actually quite similar. Like yeah. you're looking at large, large sections of the economy that are essentially um, not actual marketplaces. Um, so what, what you'll see is that the places where the market is just running around unfettered, it's going to be savage uh, to... The average person.
0: Yeah, and that's where you know I, I would say because you have you know perfect world you know c- scenario which doesn't exist, and and then you have you know really a lot of the issues that we uh, are experiencing right now you can tie back to some government program, uh, and and not to say that I'm you know anti this or pro this um, I try to just you know look at things as, as objectively as possible. Obviously, it's not entirely possible. No, no, but no, I, I agree. Yeah, but I, but I was going to say it's it's one of those you know, I look at human, I look at human beings and we have these two kind of fundamental characteristics that, you know, are are always kind of combating, you know, each, each other. The first one is habit. And then the second one is uh, creativity, right? And I think human beings, you know, we, you know, intuitively, we, we know how to solve problems. That's what separates us from, you know, uh, uh, an animal. And, but then you also have habit and I would, you know, I would put in their, you know, uh, uh, laziness as well, right? Which is we're always trying to find like the, the shortcut or the easy solution or how to do or get more with less. And so it's all, it's that, that combating, but I would, I look at, you know, really what I've seen as a theme in, in my life, but also, you know, in a lot of respects, technology being one of them, which is when there is, you know, a, a, a disruption, a major disruption on a micro or macro level Okay, that is when the the, the human genius thrives, and, and I would say you know preventing that you kind of bandaid over the issue in in a sense. I know that that's not you know relevant to every single circumstance, uh, but as far as I can see, I mean sometimes you know part of the the, the market is to have you know a a correction back to uh, equilibrium, and maybe maybe we are past the point of of no return where that you know, that type of solution would essentially wipe white people out. Um, I don't know. But that's how I always try to look at things, which is, you know, the, the cause was government. I don't know if, if the, the government is always going to be the, so, the, so, the solution. But, and that, but I'm, I know that you have looked at it from multiple angles, so I'd love to hear your take on that. Maybe we can end with this final point.
1: Well, <laughs> it's, uh, yes. So to me, the gov- government's like the solution of last resort. Um, but in many of these instances, we are talking about massive institutions that will require some kind of structural incentive change uh, in order for real change to occur. Uh, and if you'd like to, to find out more about my thoughts on what we need to do, uh, my book, The War on Normal People, published by Hachette Books, came out just a couple of weeks ago. Or you can go to my website. Yang2020.com, or just Google my name, Andrew Yang, because we are going through a series of unprecedented changes. We're undergoing the greatest technological and economic shift in human history, and we need to think much, much bigger and more quickly about how we're going to address it together as a people, because this is not something that an individual person or family or company will be able to address uh on its own we are we are going through macro shifts that will bring about unprecedented changes and we're in the middle of it right now this is not speculative anymore we're in the third or fourth inning and we have to get our acts together before we get to inning six seven or eight
0: and, and we're going to post all of all of these links as well uh because i want to i really want your your viewpoint to get out there because it's a it's a viewpoint that is again challenging the the status quo, and right now, you know, the status quo, what has been created as our society is like what you've been been saying. Okay, it is it's leading us to a, a path of failure and and destruction in a sense. And uh, you know, I, I look at you know what are the potential uh, solutions, and uh, and there's probably a number a number of them. But I'm I'm glad that you've decided to kind of champion champion this you know, pursuit of, of disruption because, you know, I'll, one point I'll leave with is what I've noticed, hopefully some of the older, you know, baby boomers don't, you know, send me hate mail, but I've noticed that, you know, you have a generation that is in power right now and have a tremendous amount of influence. I would say most administrators in, in academia uh, fit this profile, you know, which they've not been able to necessarily adapt to, you know, this, this evolution of change. And have tried to cling to that final inning right before they get their tenure before they get their pension or, or what or whatever, uh, but in the end they 're trying to essentially maintain this this course uh, this course that they 've been on for uh, x amount of years uh, and it's it 's not working in fact it's it 's hurting and uh, and you 're right i mean there 's a lot of things to be excited about uh, when it comes to you know, tech technology, whether it's uh, self-driving transportation or automated transportation, you know, you have 5G coming out uh, in the next uh, next couple of quarters and, you know, the Internet of, of Things revolution, you know, it's it's one of those, there's lots of things to be, you know, uh, excited about, but at the same time, you know, there's there's also, some, you know, industries that it will disrupt, it'll uh, displace workers and, it, you know... It, that's just kind of the the, the human, uh, you know, the, the human idea of uh, of change and adapting, and uh, and now it's going to be a lot of uh, adapting just because of how quickly changing things uh, things are. But you know, I, I would say your your viewpoint is is probably causing some, um, you know, some discontent. I would say in the, in the traditional political spheres, uh, have you have you found that to be the case?
1: Well you know I'm I'm glad to say that there's a recognition that we need some new ideas and new energy and a new vision um but it's also the case that institutions are unlikely to change on their own because of the dynamics you just described which is that people have been in their seats for a while and uh and they want they want to keep it that way I mean they want to play out the string so <laughs> and you know you don't blame them in the sense that um, it, it would be highly unusual for someone to stand up and say, "Hey, you know what? Like this institution not really doing." <laughs> I mean, mean wow, like that. I can't even say that with a straight face. No, <laughs> no, right. it's, a, it's, it's that
0: self-preservation in us. It's kind of like, like I said, you have these competing initiatives, personal initiatives. We all have. You have these, com- you know, these competing things, and it's, I don't know. It, it, it's always been that way. It's just right now you know, they've, they've tried. It's coming to a head, man. It's coming to a head. No, it is. And that's where, you know, I think it's exciting because, you know, the periods of the highest disruption is where human beings thrive. And I think there's going to be pain. Uh, But at the same time, you know, it doesn't mean that's a bad thing. I mean, you went through a lot of pain when your first business failed, but it compelled you to figure things out. And I would say as a human, as a human race, that's also something that we do uh, pretty well, right? Is we figure things out, we figure out how to survive and learn from, you know, our, our, I would say, ne- never ending cycle of, of trial and error.
1: I, I hope you're right on that score. I hope to be part of that being the case. I will say, by the numbers, uh, we are not doing a great job of adapting or figuring it out. Uh, you know, the, the, the indicators, the data um, tell a fairly bleak story yeah. um, where our life expectancy has declined for two years in a row. Uh, Americans are committing suicide at unprecedented levels among middle-aged Americans, which is causing the life expectancy decline. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of indicators that show that instead of people... Oh, an- another data point that I found horrifying, which you probably will too, we start a 100,000 fewer businesses per year than we did even a decade ago, and Americans are moving across state lines at a lower rate than has been the, the case for the, for any of like the last 50 years. Hmm. So by the numbers, there's not a whole lot of new adaptation going on. There's a lot more people hunkering down and not doing well, but I certainly want to be part of what turns that around. And I, I will say that in order for us to turn this around, it has to be more than optimism in my, in my opinion, somewhat misplaced optimism. It has to be resources, commitment, leadership, sacrifice, hard work, like all these things that right now uh we're not really doing as a people. We're we're just sort of uh hoping (laughs)
0: Well it's not painful (laughs) It's it's not painful
1: enough. It 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 could be man. I mean it's it's plenty painful for some people
0: yeah um, but, to, but it could our, our be that you're right change, that the, the pain has not I mean, gone really. change. yeah you're you're right and and you know and, and that's the that's the thing it's i i i would say i'm a libertarian at at heart and you know i I look at why things are the way that they they are, and it, you know it does it does tie back a lot to trying to control you know human human behavior but i don't want to go down that path right now it's one of those you know, I, I try to look at things as exciting, but you're right. There's a lot to be concerned, uh, concerned about. But I think those concerns will hopefully, you know, produce the, the, the results that, uh, whether it's new technology or innovation uh, that, will, that doesn't exist right now, that could potentially, you know, help, uh, help out. But I don't know. Well, it, I, I want to make biased. a plug
1: for a deeply libertarian policy, which was something Milton Friedman championed. And that's a negative income tax or a universal basic income where everyone gets money certain amount in my plan it's a thousand dollars a month to spend it as they will um as opposed to having it prescribed by the government like what they're going to do with it um that to me is a big part of a more positive future is uh and, and that's a deeply libertarian idea um there are folks at Cato and the manhattan institute that are for it um and uh you know milton friedman sort of i think one of the patron saints of Also, um, Hayek. What's Hayek's first name? Friedrich Friedrich. Hayek. Yeah, Friedrich Hayek was also a fan. So negative income tax, universal basic income. That's one of the core tenets uh, of my presidential campaign.
0: Okay, well, I won't get on that road because that's, and that might be a good follow-up because, you know, Friedrich Friedrich Hayek, you know, championed uh, the Austrian business cycle and the Austrian business cycle really pushes, you know, the Federal Reserve as the, the catalyst to why there's displacement of resources. And I won't go down that, that path right now. You know, I, I would say the whole, you know, UBI is, is, a, is a theory, right? Um, but in the end, I would say human, you know, human beings are designed a certain way, right, to, uh, to, to provide value, to create value, to be creative. And I think we've, we've stifled that with the education system. And I'd agree with that. I'd yeah. i agree with that. Because it's, it's one of those, you know, w- we need an environment where we have to survive, and, you know, sub, uh, subsidizing survival, it, there's, all, there's always going to be unintended consequences. And so I would say, you know, in in the end, you know, you're never going to have a utopia, first off. I think that the world, in a sense, is designed to be scarce, right, so that we figure out how to distribute not just physical resources, but intellectual resources. But there always has to be well, it's, that.
1: It's, that, it's that about to get weird, man. What's where that? The old dynamics of scarcity may not apply in certain dimensions where imagine if you had artificial intelligence with unlimited computing power, which is what we're approaching now. Yeah. I know. And so there's a, there are a lot of forms of work that all of a sudden will be nearly cost free to perform. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have like spikes of abundance and, and other places of real scarcity. Yeah. Um, but I just want to suggest to you that, um, that the, the scarcity that has historically been a part of our condition is about to leave us, at least in certain narrow
0: areas. For sure, yeah, no, and I and I love you know. I don't know if you follow Peter Peter Diamandis. Um, he he's a you know futurist. Wrote uh, uh, the book Abundance. Has written a few others. Yields a um, you know conference, really big conference every year where there's some big tech people and futurists that, that speak at. And and you know he's he's talked a lot about that um, and hit on many points that you've you've hit on. Uh, and and yeah, I would yeah. and I would say you're totally you're totally right and that again that just proves out that you know human beings are trying to figure out a way to get things to be faster, cheaper, easier, um, more more widely available. Uh, and you know yeah, and I think in certain areas it does uh, solve the problem of uh, of scarcity. But at the same time, you know we make that you know assumption with the variables that we're aware of, not of the variables that could be uh, that don't exist right now. That could be. Uh, in existence when these things are created, new technologies, new initiatives, new, you know, I, I think in the end, it's like human beings are always trying to to grow. Uh, and I don't think there's an end to, to that. And because our mindset right now is only aware of what exists Right, we don't know necessarily what doesn't exist, but that's where people will always come up with new ideas, new technologies. I've thought about this thing as what well, These things as well, which is okay. Once once you have you know a, a zero cost of living or an insanely low cost of living, like what are people going to do? But that's the thing. It's like people always figure out what to do. It's kind of like you know farming. Oh, we figured out how to not have to be nomad. Uh, I,
1: yes. I, again, I would love, and it, it, if you haven't got a copy of my book, um, *The War on Normal People*, you should definitely dig in. No, I have not right. The, the, the numbers ordered it while we've been talking. So. <laughs> oh, good. Because the numbers, you know, just like that—that's part of it—is uh, that we just need to look at what the evidence tells us. And I, I dearly wish that it seemed like we were adapting at the pace that we're going to need to. Um, but the, the evidence, unfortunately, it, it just paints a much bleaker picture.
0: And do you, and do you, do you kind of state some of the people you follow where you're getting statistics and you know, where you're yeah, it's all
1: sourced, meaning, it's all sourced in right. the book. Like, oh, you all, know, okay. uh, and, and happily it comes from a, or happily or unhappily, it comes from a bunch of different sources. So, um, so it's not like I just relied on one place.
0: Okay. Well, Andrew, I would love to. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna read your book, and maybe we can get back on the horn, you know, in the future. Um, but I love your. I love where your mind is, and I love that we can have this type of dialogue, right? Because you see things a certain way, I see things a certain way, and that's the case with all human beings. And there, if, if I think that type of dialogue is is what's needed, where people don't you know, get offended for their viewpoint, uh, and are able to expand their mind based on the viewpoint and perspective of others. Uh, and I think if we just if we just had that dynamic, a part of, you know, just the kind of the, the, the you know, international dialogue, we would be a hell of a lot better off. Um, I,
1: I, appreciate- I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, you're completely right. And we have to get back to that point. Um, but I, I enjoyed this conversation a great deal. And I, I agree with you that, people with different viewpoints need to be able to come together
0: and have intelligent conversations. 100%, 100%. Well, we'll get, we're going to get the word out for you. Uh, we'll, we'll push this out to our, our social media. Uh, we'll put the books out there. I'm going to go uh, read, uh, read your, your latest uh, latest book as well. And then, yeah, maybe in the future, we can get back on the, get, uh, back on the horn and, and have a, a conversation again. That'd be fantastic, Patrick. Keep up the great work. Okay, you too, Andrew. Best of luck with everything, okay? Thanks, man. All right, take care. Thank you for joining us
1: as the Wealth Standard Podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life, liberty, and property. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you on the next one.